Um, I would love to take this opportunity to welcome you to today's Sunday School class. Um, for the sake of those who are joining us for the first time online or here, this is not the worship service. This is just a Sunday School class where we spend one hour looking into different topics every morning. We started the topic of a study of the 12 disciples last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday, we considered the calling of the 12 disciples. I called them 12 ordinary men. Uh, the point being, um, we want to look at these men, see that they were men just like us. The men uh, Christ called for himself to be apostles. They were men like us. Uh, they were not any different. They had the same God we have. They had the same Lord, Jesus Christ. Uh, the same Lord we have, our Lord Jesus Christ. They were empowered by the same Holy Spirit that empowers us today. So there is nothing very special about them other than the fact that they were the first. They were the first that Christ called and he used them in, in that specific way as apostles. Other than that, other than the fact that they were apostles, they were not any different from, from us. And so the goal is to uh, encourage us or to spur us and to good works, to expect um, great things from God and to attempt great things from God. So that's where we are. Um, again, for the sake of those who do not know me, my name is Kevin Nyagaka. I am a pastor of this church. So before we start, I'll ask that we pray. Let's pray. Our gracious God, our Father, and our King, we come before you this morning um, knowing that you are with us. You have required us to set apart this one day to come into your presence, to hear from you, to worship you, to enjoy you. And we have made every effort to be here. Lord, we thank you for enabling us to do that. We pray that um, we will have a, a fruitful day in this Sunday school and in the worship services that are to come. Uh, be with us to teach us your will. And now for this lesson specifically, as we look at the life of, uh, at the life of Simon Peter, we ask that you will give us wisdom and understanding that we will not only know your word in our heads, but we may take it to our hearts to own it, to make it ours, and to obey your word. May your spirit in us uh, work in us obedience. And for those who are not believers, Lord, we pray that they will see the urgency of the matter and that they will come to faith. Help me, Lord, to speak your word so clearly, to um, make these thoughts known to your people so simply that no one will miss the point. Uh, you have given me one task today. 
I pray that no one will miss the point of the message today. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So today we are going to look at Simon Peter, the Apostle. Simon Peter, the Apostle. I will uh, title the message today, A Testimony of the Transforming Power of Christ. Uh, we said we would look at the disciples one after another. Um, we will not be able to look at them all. And I am afraid even, even in some cases where we will look at them, like, like for example, the case of Simon Peter. There is so much in the Bible about Simon Peter that we cannot handle in, in one hour. And so I, pr I pray that God will guide us to get the most out of this one hour. So last Sunday, in our, in our lesson, we saw that our Lord Jesus Christ chose for himself as apostles 12 ordinary men, men who he would later walk closely with, pour out his life to them, and train them to take over his ministry after him. So we said that we would consider these men one after another, to see how ordinary, like ourselves, they were, and how Christ would transform them and use them to accomplish an extraordinary task. So before we uh, go into the study of Simon Peter, I want, to, I want to remind us that, and I will keep reminding us through the lessons, of what I hope, to, uh, of what I hope God will work in our hearts in looking at the lives of these men. The goal of this study, and I repeat, the goal of this study is to ignite in us a fire, an excitement for the gospel ministry that we, that we should, as William Carey would put it, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. To know that the apostles were ordinary men like us, we are, uh, sorry, to know that the apostles were ordinary men like we are, and to see how they were used by Christ should encourage us to expect God to use us in a similar way, and to give ourselves wholly to the service of Christ as these men did. The second thing I would uh, want to remind us is that, as it has been said before, and as it is the case, that the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. It is a commission given to us through the 11 Apostles by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, by the giver of all authority himself, as a command commanding obedience. The Great Commission was not put in the Bible for our consideration. It is not uh, something us to consider and obey at will. It's called a commission. A commission is a command. You obey. You don't uh, negotiate. You don't reason with it. You obey. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Uh, I will not get tired of reading this to you. And Jesus, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So are you a Christian? Do you seek to know what God's, God's will for you is? Here it is. This is one thing that we are sure we ought to do. To evangelize, to preach the gospel to unbelievers. The Lord is king. Shall you dare resist his will, distrust his care, or murmur at his wise decrees, or doubt his royal promises? Our Lord Jesus Christ has called you, dear Christian, out of your sin and misery. He has taken your burden of sin on himself, and Christ has made you free. So I will ask you, how do you use this freedom? Christ has made you free. How do you use this freedom? William Carey was in his time puzzled that, and I quote, multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. Love for the global glory of Jesus and for the good of our fellow man, she argues, obligates us to proclaim the gospel in all places. Surely it is worthwhile. It is worthwhile to lay ourselves out with all might in promoting the costs and the kingdom of Christ. So the point I'm trying to make is, by looking at the lives of these apostles, the disciples of Jesus Christ, I want us to see that we are ordinary men, and God uses ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary task of taking the gospel to the ends of the world. And number two, I want you to see that this task of taking the gospel to the ends of the world is your task. It is not uh, the pastor's task. It is not um, something for theological students. It is your job. I want you to own it. So as, even as we look at the life of Simon Peter, um, have in mind that the person I am trying to encourage is you. So let's, let's consider uh, Simon Peter. There is much information given in the Bible about Peter and we will not cover it all in this session. Uh, Jesus, well, the New Testament generally, speaks more about Peter than any other apostle. Jesus speaks about Peter and talks to Peter more than all the other apostles combined, from what we have uh, in the scriptures and in the New Testament. So we, we have a lot on Simon Peter, the man we are going to consider today. And to, to begin with, I'd like to hear from you what you know about Peter. One of the effective ways to know if someone has grasped a topic 
is to ask them to summarize that topic, either in, in a paragraph, in a sentence, or in a few words. So I will ask this question to you in one word or in a maximum of two words, not more than two words, describe Peter. 10 marks. So who will attempt to describe Peter in one or two words? Yes, Lord. Bold and courageous, three words. <laughs> okay, bold, courageous, yes. Yes, Percy. Three words. Grew in grace. Um, yes. Grew in grace. Yes, Maka. Quick in speaking. Yes, he was. He was quick to speak. That was Peter. Yes. He was greatly loved by Christ. He was loved by Christ. Yes. Anyone else who wants to attempt? Quick tempered. Yep, that was Peter. So we do know Peter. One last person. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, well, we will, Christ named Peter Rock, uh, Christ nicknamed Peter, we will, we will see that, but um, it's a wrong interpretation that it's Peter on, on whom the church is built, and we will, we will consider that. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. He prepares Peter for, for the work that is coming. In fact, we see Christ pouring his life more into Peter than uh, the rest of the apostles. In my opinion, the last words of Second Peter um, best describe Simon Peter himself. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So Peter is the best, in my opinion, the best example we have in the Bible of growth. If I were to describe Peter uh, using one word, I would use growth. This is a very good example for us as Christians and especially as leaders. So it's important to note that the period, uh, everything that we have in the Gospels uh, happens in three years. And the training of the apostles happens in a period of Around one and a half years. Around one and a half years. So by the time, um, we can say it's at most three years between the time Peter first encounters Christ and the time 
Peter stands to preach on the day of Pentecost. So it's a very short period of time. And there is tremendous growth within that period of time. So let's, let's look at Peter. What do we know about Peter as a man uh, before, before he encounters Christ? What do we know about him before he encounters Christ? Most of the things we have said, but let's just, yes, Marka. Yes, he was a married man. Um, we see Christ uh, healing his mother-in-law. And this, this was before he called uh, Peter to the apostleship. Yes, Pastor. He, he was brought to the Lord by his uh, younger brother, Andrew. Yes, he was brought to the Lord by Andrew, his younger brother. Anything else? Yes. He was a fisherman. Yes. So, all those things are true. Let's, let's now consider the, the calling of Simon Peter. We get the account in John 1, 35-42. We can turn to John 1, 35-42. Well, this is not the calling. This is Peter's first encounter with Christ. Peter was introduced to Jesus by his younger brother, as Percy has said. Um, who was Andrew, who was a disciple of John, John the Baptist. I am not, sh I am not sure if it is said somewhere in the Bible, but I suspect that Peter was a disciple of John the Baptist as well. Is it said so anywhere in the Bible? I, I don't know, but we, we don't know, but we are told that Andrew was. John chapter 135. The next day, Again, John was standing with, the, with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. So this is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called uh, Cephas, which means Peter. So two important things we, we see here. One is that these ordinary men, fishermen, disciples of John, recognized the Christ when the Pharisees and scribes were very busy waiting for the Christ. They were waiting for the Messiah. It is interesting that the guys who would recognize the Messiah were just ordinary men, not men given to the study of uh, scriptures and the law. The Pharisees, some of the Pharisees believed 
but they did not recognize him at his coming. The other thing we see here is that, see the first, the first thing, this is an account we have of the first interaction, the very first interaction of Simon, Peter, and Christ. So when Jesus saw him, these are the very first words he said to him. Um, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called uh, Cephas, which means Peter. Jesus knew, Jesus knew that he, uh, Simon would be uh, the leader of the disciples. At this point, Simon had no clue. Simon had no idea what God was going to do with him, which again is the case with many of us, actually all of us. At the time, we, at the time of believing, at the time when we get to hear the gospel and believe, we, we believe, we are happy that our sins have been forgiven, we rejoice. But at that point, we do not know what awaits us. But God knows. Christ knows. So the very first thing that Christ did was to nickname Peter. This was not Peter's name. Peter's, uh, Peter's name was Simon. Simon but Jonah. Um, this nickname... Peter would one and a half years later become a reminder to him and to other disciples of the responsibility that would be bestowed upon him. Peter would later take up this name as his own, as, sorry, as his own, this nickname. We know that his official name was Simon, uh, Simon Barjona, but we read in his epistles the first epistle, his introduction, he refers to himself as Peter. He uses a nickname given to him, to him by Jesus Christ. In his second letter, he introduces himself as Simon Peter. He, he would later take, take that name and own it, and it became his name. We refer to him as Peter. That's, that says a lot. Um, there is a possibility that there are some people who do not know his name is Simon. There are some people who know uh, the apostle as the apostle Peter and not Simon. This, this is important to us um, because in a way, we, Christ has not called us all Peter, but we have something of a name change when we believe. We are called Christians. We are called by the name of Christ. We, we bear his name. Upon believing, upon coming to faith, we get a new name, Christian. This, this title constantly reminds us of how we ought to live in a fallen world. The title Christian that we bear is born in vain if we continue acting 
like our unregenerate, uh, unregenerate selves. If we do not live as Christ lived, we perpetually break the third commandment by bearing the name of the Lord in vain. So you'd rather not be called a Christian at all than bear the title Christian in vain. It has been said by some people uh, about this nickname, uh, Peter, Simon's nickname, it has been said that when Jesus was, uh, when Jesus wanted to commend him for something good that he has done, when he has acted in faith, he called him Peter. But when he was acting like a sinner or um, when he needed rebuke, he called him Peter. I am not so sure about that, but I have heard people say that. So this name reminded Peter of his responsibilities. So again, this is just the first encounter. Uh, Peter encounters Christ again in Matthew 4. Let's turn to Matthew 4, 12 to 13. So this, the encounter that we've read is not Peter's calling. He would go back to fishing with his brother Andrew until they encounter Christ again in Galilee at their workplace. In Matthew 4, 12 to 13, we will read 12 to 13 and then go to verse 18. Now, uh, that's Matthew 4, 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, that is Jesus. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Verse 18, while walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So we see, uh, we see Peter's call at this point. Uh, Christ calls Peter and Andrew, and they leave everything. At this point now, they leave their work, and they follow Christ. But this still is not their call to the apostleship. They followed Christ together with a multitude of people who were his disciples. And as we read in Luke chapter 6 last time, um, he would uh, go to, uh, to, pray, to pray at some point, and he would select 12 um, disciples, 12 apostles from the many disciples he had. So that's, that's his calling. Now we will look at uh, Peter's human characteristics. How, did, uh, how was Peter as a human being? What are the characteristics that were outstanding about him, some of which we have mentioned? Uh, I will choose to deal with three, uh, three that were to me, most con conspicuous. And the first one is that he was inquisitive. It was, it, it was usually Peter who asked 
uh, the Lord uh, many questions. Um, does any one of you remember a situation where Peter asks something? Does any situation come to mind? Okay, none. Think of a situation then where the disciples asked Jesus anything. Um, just think of a situation where the disciples asked Jesus anything. Is there any that comes to mind? Yes. Yes, uh, the disciples ask Christ who would be the greatest. I'm trying to think if that was Peter. I'm not sure. Uh, but yes, that is a situation where the disciples ask Jesus. The, the point I'm trying to make, yes. 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 Uh, thank you. Um, the point I'm trying to make is, if you try and think of any situation where the disciples asked Jesus something, most likely it was Peter who asked um, that question. Just uh, do your do your research and see. Um, we have an example. Let me see. Matthew 15, Matthew 15, 15. Again, this is Peter asking, um, asking Jesus to explain the parables. It was Peter, most of the time, who asked um, Jesus to, to explain what he meant uh, by his parables. Again, uh, look at Matthew 18, 21. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. This is, this is Peter. It is Peter that we see in scriptures, in the Gospels, who's recorded uh, asking questions, thinking about things. Uh, sometimes he, he, he looked dumb, he looked like he doesn't understand things, but you, don't, you, you cannot understand unless you ask. Again, look at Matthew 19, verse 27. Matthew 19, 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? This is after... Uh, after Jesus had told the um, young rich man to leave everything and follow him, and he's told them that they must leave everything to follow him. Then Peter says, um, see, we have left everything for you. And he's asking Christ, so what is our reward? Yeah. It, sounds, it sounds dumb if you think about it. Christ just told um, 
Christ has just taught that you have to leave everything to follow Christ. And Peter is asking, Sisi tumewacha everything. So what is our reward? But he gets his answer. We see another example in Mark 11.20. Uh, this is after uh, Christ has, had cast the fig tree. They went their way, and when they were coming back that way, I want to assume everyone noticed that tree. Uh, you, you don't just pass a green tree, come back, and notice that it is, don't notice that it is withered. I, I want to assume that everyone noticed that the tree was withered. But we read in Mark 11.20, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree. Clearly the Bible says it. They, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cast has withered. Uh, it's it's Peter who was it's it's it sounds like it was Peter who was just surprised and was inquisitive. He wanted to know how 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 Christ did things. Do you do you have any examples yourself? Can you think of a situation where Peter asks something, or a situation where the other people assume something, but Peter brings it up? Yes. Um, can we get the mic? Yes, thank you. During the transfiguration, mm -hmm. um, when uh, Christ was transfigured and Elijah and Moses appeared, mm. Peter was the one first to notice and ask if he can make tents for the three of them. Yes. Peter is the one who uh, asked to build tents for the three of them. Uh, so ap apparently, during that time, it was a thing. Um, okay, I, I don't remember the, the context well, but that building of a, uh, a tent somewhere to sleep, it's something that they did around that time of the year. So it was just uh, being nice, you know, can... Do I build a tent so that we stay here for two or three days, maybe? That was Peter. Another example? Yes, Marka. I think during the Last Supper, mm -hmm. Peter turned, that is in John 20, 20 to 21. Mm. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Yeah. And he asked the second question. When Peter saw him, he said to, to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Yeah. This is, this is the Peter we see. He always wanted to know. Peter always wanted to know more and understand better. And this, this, should, uh, this should be the case with each one of us. I mean, look at Peter in Acts. Look at Peter in First Peter and Second Peter. Look at how much he knows. 
Look at the wealth of knowledge that he hands over to us. Do you think that that's all that knowledge just landed on him at night like a big bang and he woke up knowing everything? It did not happen like that. You learn by asking. You learn by looking into things. Peter sought to know. He asked many questions. Sometimes it made him look dumb, but he got his answers. And that should be each one of us. We should learn to ask questions. If you don't understand something in the scriptures, ask, what, what does it mean? Peter asked. That is one key, that we, one key thing that we see about Peter. Number two, um, we see that Peter took initiative. So Peter was not only quick to ask questions, but also quick to answer questions posed by Christ. And an, an example is, a good example is Matthew 16, 13 to 19. Matthew 16, 13 to 19. Can someone read that for us? This is a portion of scripture that um, has been misinterpreted and has led many to heresy. Who will read? Yes, um. Matthew sixteen thirteen to nineteen. Yep. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Thank you. So we, we see here uh, Peter responding to Jesus' question. Who do you say I am? After he has asked the disciples, who do people say I am? He narrows down to them, but who do you say I am? And Peter is the one who answers. And um, Christ says to him in verse 17, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I, uh, I tell you, uh, sorry, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So I think it's important that I clarify what Christ meant here. It is not the point of our, of our study, but I feel that it is important. Christ here is not talking about Peter. Christ is not saying that 
he will build his church on Peter. That is where the Roman Catholic Church um, based their, this is where they come to when they say that Peter was the first pope. <laughs> but what Christ did name, did name Simon Peter, which means rock. But the rock he's referring to here is himself, that is Christ. Look at how, look at how he phrases it. And Jesus answered him, uh, so, sorry, verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He did, he did not say, and on you, Peter, or on you I will build my church. On this rock, the subject was himself. Remember the question, what do, you, what, do, uh, what do people say I am? And who do you say I am? That was the subject of the matter. They were speaking about Jesus and who Jesus is or who Jesus was. Uh, some said he was John the Baptist. Others said he was a prophet. And Jesus asked him, but what do you say? What do you say? When Peter said, um, uh, where is that verse? Sorry, verse? Yeah, verse 16. When Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Christ responds to that answer. And he says, when he says, on this rock, I will build the church. He's referring to himself, not Peter. And verse, verse, um, sorry, verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, that is Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Another verse that is misinterpreted is 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You have seen images or you, are, you have heard stories being told of people dying and going to heaven and they find Peter at the gates of heaven with a key and he's the one who admits people to heaven. That is, that is not what we see from scriptures. Let me ask you one thing. What is it that admits, admits anyone, an unbeliever, to the kingdom of God? What admits an unbeliever to the kingdom of God? Yeah? Yes? The gospel, thank you. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the only thing that can admit an unbeliever into the kingdom of God. This gospel was handed over to Peter. Peter had the privilege of being the first person to share the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Peter had the privilege to be the first person to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The gospel is the key. The gospel is the key to heaven. And Christ handed over this gospel to the apostles. And this is what is meant by verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, context is 
is key when understand is key to understanding some of these texts. So during uh, when the Jews made a man a doctor of the law, they put in his hand, they gave him a key to the closet that uh, where the sacred books were kept. And that would signify authority to teach the law. Well, everyone in this context knew that, but we do not know that. Most of us do not know that. So when Christ tells the disciples, or tell Peter, I will give you the key, she's telling him, I will give you the authority to preach this gospel. This gospel that I hand over to you, I give you the authority to, to preach. Um, I think I have said enough on, on that matter. Unless there's a question about it. Yes. My question is still on uh, verse 19. Mm -hmm. It's just for clarity's sake. Mm -hmm. uh, Yes, I, I see the context is Peter mm. being uh, spoken to, mm. uh, but the, the same language is is what is in, I think, uh, chapter 19 mm -hmm. of Matthew, where uh, uh, it speaks of the context of how believers ought to deal with their situations, and while it's ending at the very end of it. It says, it uses almost the same language. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And the context there is the church. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if it's just Peter who was given these keys of the kingdom of heaven, or even the church. No, it, it is the church. Okay. Um, Peter just had the privilege of being the first to make this uh, news publicly known. But the, the context of uh, um, binding on earth is given to the church. Yes. It is used in the context of church discipline. Yeah. So that when the church declares someone um, a non-believer, it is in heaven declared as well. Yep. Okay, so another example of um, Peter taking initiative is Luke 22, 49. This is during Christ's betrayal. Again, Peter is there. And when those and when those who are around, when those who are around uh, around him saw what would follow, they said, "Lord, shall we strike with a sword?" We know the story. It's it's Peter who attempted to uh, to kill Malchus, and when he ducked, he cut his ear. He was surrounded by uh, a multitude of soldiers. What could he have done? Sometimes you wonder, was, was, he, was he thinking? But we see him take initiative to protect Jesus. 
this is the Peter we see. Number three, we see that he was he was involved, so he was inquisitive, he took initiative, and he was involved. Look at Matthew 14, 28. Matthew 14, 28 to 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So the disciples are in a boat. Jesus is approaching, uh, walking on water. Everyone is scared. Everyone is afraid. Christ tell, tells them, uh, it is me. Peter says, um, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Again, we see a man who wants to be involved. He wants to be where the action is. Something that we should borrow from Peter. In John 18, another example, John 18, 15. John 18, 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Uh, this is after Jesus had been arrested, um, and all other disciples have fled. They have gone away. So Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, that is John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. This is where Jesus was was held that night. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, that is John, went and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch over the door and brought Peter in. So the other disciples, after Jesus had been, had been arrested, Wameenda, they are nowhere to be seen. Only two remain. This is John and Peter. So number one, clearly he's not allowed to be there. We, we see what's happening here. John goes in, talks to the servant girl to go and let Peter in. He risks his life to be, um, to be where Jesus is. They could as well have arrested him. This makes me think, I, no, no wonder he was made leader. You know, he was weak, he was unstable, but he was there. He was there when everyone had left Jesus. He was willing to risk his life for Christ. We remember this incident um, by Peter denying Jesus three times. We don't see the courage that it has taken him to be where he was at that time. He was the person close enough uh, for Jesus to look into, uh, to, to, to look at Jesus when the cock crowed. All the other disciples were not there. Yes, he, he denied Jesus, but he was there. He was involved. Any comment about that? Or another example? Do you have any other example where we see Peter being involved in a way that other, other apostles were afraid of? Just, just before Peter denied Christ, in Luke twenty-two thirty-three, 33, we read, Peter said to him, 
Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Well, the, the Lord, uh, Christ tells him that he would deny him, but I, am, I, I believe, I am convinced that Peter meant this. When Peter was saying, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death, I believe he meant it. He would be scared later and deny, uh, and deny Christ, but he would also repent and turn back. The point I am making is he was involved. He was where the action was. Any comments? Okay. Um, now, lastly, I want us to look at the transformation. The, transforma the transformation of Peter. Again, there are very many things that we could look at, but I will only choose to deal with four, four that I thought were necessary for our study. I can see we are almost out of time, so I will, I will try to bring them quickly. Or I want us to observe the transformation in Peter's submission uh, to the government, to the law, in Peter's restraint, in Peter's humility, and in Peter's compassion. Let's look at Matthew 17, 24. This is a situation where Matthew 17, 24, um, regarding the temple tax. So the temple tax was a tax that was paid to the temple. This is not to the Roman government. It was a tax paid by the Jews to, for the upkeep and maintenance of the temple. It was commanded in Deuteronomy. Uh, so verse 24, when they came to uh, Capernaum, the collectors of the two Drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay ta uh, the tax? He said, Yes. Let's, let's pause there. So, the reason why this is recorded the way it is recorded um, is to show us something. This is a battle that, that, was, going, uh, that was going on within Peter. So, these guys come to, uh, come to Peter and ask him, um, does your teacher not pay the tax, the tax owed to the temple? Now, Peter knows that Christ pays the temples, but it troubles him. We know it troubles him because uh, Christ is God. He, he knew what Peter was thinking, and he responds to it without, even, without Peter asking. The point why, why it troubled Peter is because Christ... Peter believed that Jesus was the son of God. The temple tax was paid to, for the upkeep of the temple. The temple was Christ's. Did Christ need to pay tax to himself? That was the question going, uh, that was the question that Peter was struggling with. 
so verse, um, verse 25, he said yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, so it's Jesus who spoke to Peter. Peter did not ask. What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of, earth, of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and yourself. So Jesus just answered the question he, he had. He told him, uh, even, um, sorry, he asks him, who do kings take tax from, their sons or others? Kings don't take taxes from their sons. They take taxes from others. So why does God need to take tax from Jesus? So Jesus tells him, I don't, uh, I would be right not to pay this tax. This tax, this tax is owed to me. I will be right not to pay this tax. But because we do not give, want to give an offense, go, uh, fish, you will, you will find this coin and pay the tax. Peter's question was answered. The reason why Jesus submitted to this authority um, is because he did not want to take offense. So we know that Peter struggles with this issue of submission. Now, fast forward to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Peter. After a few years, Peter would write these words. 1 Peter 2.13 Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. See the transformation. From struggling uh, to submit to the authorities to telling Christians, submit willingly. And this is what the gospel does to us. This is what Christ does to us. Again, remember this happens within a very short period of time. Well, there's, there's a number of years between uh, the first uh, case and the writing of Peter, but we see there's a transformation. Number two, look at how Peter grows in his restraint, in his self-control. Between the incident um, when Jesus was being arrested, when he took out his sword and wanted to kill uh, Malchus, and uh, 1 Peter 2.19. Again, let's look at 1 Peter. two nineteen. 
they promised, sorry, I'm at Second Peter. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you, uh, and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So this is Peter asking uh, his audience to uh, not return wrong for wrong, to suffer wrong for the sake of Christ. Look at that transformation again and see how Christ changes Peter. Again, look at how Peter changes in humility. Matthew 26, 30 to 35. When Peter's saying, I, I will not, I cannot deny you, I will not leave you. Matthew 26, 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter replies. Peter says, say to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples say the same. Be, be very careful when you think you stand. This is the lesson we learn here, lest you fall. Peter was very confident here knowing that I cannot deny Christ, but he denied Christ. Now compare that Peter to the Peter of 1 Peter 5, 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this is Peter again teaching his audience to be humble. And lastly, Look at the uh, transformation in Peter's compassion. In the same account, uh, Jesus tells in Luke 22, 31, 
uh, Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. At this point, um, Christ is teaching him compassion. So how does Christ react to this situation? He does not tell Peter, um, I, will, I will stop Satan from, I will not give you over to Satan. Because the language he uses is, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. Christ told Peter, but I have prayed for you. This is compassion. He did not get him out of that situation. He felt for him. He knew it was going to be tough for him. And he prayed for him. I believe Peter learned the lesson because of 1 Peter 5, 8. Again, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. This is what Peter teaches. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a rolling lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood and throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we see that Peter grows in his compassion. The same way Christ felt for him and prayed for him, we see him doing this for others. He feels for others. He knows that the devil is prowling, looking for people to sift like wheat, and he feels for them. That was a lot in a very short time. But the point is, Christ transformed Peter. And Christ can transform you. And he can use you like he used Peter. I think I'll, I'll stop at that. Any questions or comments? Uh, thanks, Pasi, for the lesson. Um, uh, with regards to how Christ transforms us, I just remembered a, a passage or one instance that uh, shows us how Peter changed mm -hmm. with regards to his attitude. Um, so whereas in Luke, the account that is given in Luke chapter 5, where he meets with Christ and then the miracle is done whereby... Um, they catch a lot of fish. Mm -hmm. um, his response there is that uh, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, mm -hmm. saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man. Um, so it's interesting because it, in the book of John, we have a similar account mm -hmm. in John 21, um, where a similar miracle is is performed by Christ, mm -hmm. and this is after the resurrection. Um, yeah. So he asks them if they have been able to catch any fish. Their response is no. Mm -hmm. um, but then he tells them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they catch a quantity of 153 fish, I mm -hmm. think. Um, 
then the bible says when um when this happened he took off his garment and um for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea mm. following yeah. towards where christ was yeah, yeah. so that's I, that's quite a transformation yes i mm. thought that would be interesting yeah thank you for that on the first occasion his reaction was depart from me the second occasion is he runs he, he swims towards where christ is yeah um a very important one i feel like i have to to say this uh a very important thing that we observe from the life of peter is that we fall as christians we fall and we rise two incidents come to mind that stand out the first one is after christ died imagine peter peter after going through all this after denying christ and um knowing that the words of christ were true after all the miracles that christ had done after he had uh, healed many given life to the dead he had told them on the third day he will um he will rise up and he will go before them to galilee he told them that but what did peter do peter who was the influencer among the disciples alirusha mikono he he went back to fishing he said it you know i he went back to fishing he was not patient enough to to wait for christ but again when christ appeared to them we see his restoration so this man who would be the leader we see him falling but we see him rising up another occasion is the situation with the gentiles peter simon peter the leader the person who preached at pentecost and 3000 were saved was influenced by false teachers when they said that uh it was wrong to eat with those who are not circumcised it took paul to rebuke him this 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 was peter this was um i don't know how else to put it this was peter he was the leader and he was influenced by false doctrine it took another apostle to rebuke him publicly for him to turn but then again we see him rise the argument that wins the day against uh people who are against the false teachers who are against the ones who are uncircumcised was peter's peter was the one who what the final word so it doesn't mean that great men of god or men who are used of god will not fall we will make mistakes we will fall but we will rise up i think i'll finish it at that let's pray our gracious father we thank you for the lessons that you uh keep bringing to us we see how you transformed um simon peter into a rock a rock that you would use someone who would stand up 
preach a sermon and 3,000 people would come to faith. Someone who would uh, be transformed from a nobody to the leader of the church, if I may uh, call it that. We are well aware of the fact that you remain the same. You, O oh God, do not change. You are the same power of God, the same God who transformed Peter. You are the same God that we serve, and you have transformed us. Help us in our unbelief, in our little faith. Help us to see that you, you intend to do wonders with us. You intend to turn the world upside down with us. Give us boldness to preach your gospel, as you did, uh, Peter. Give us courage to face opposition, as you did, Peter. Help us, Lord, to rise to the occasion and to serve you as we ought. We pray that you will be with us through the rest of this day as we continue to learn from you, that you will transform our minds, that we, you will help us to think uh, like you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.